Hello everybody, welcome to the Online Tennis Podcast, episode number 3636. It's myself, Jack, and I co-host... Gavin, as usual, yeah. Not a great week of tennis on show. Yeah, Miami Masters. Plenty to cover. We're going to cover a bit about the tournament and the venue change. A little bit about that pain in the arse. Andy, uh, Murray, obviously. Uh, upsets, there's plenty of them, so we'll talk a bit about that. That'll probably be the focus of today. A bit of the drama that's going on. I mean, as you say, a bit of aggro. Um, the tennis plenty podcast like to say. Yeah, plenty of it, so we'll cover a bit of that. A bit about Ash Barty as well and our retirement. A week quiz from Gav, literally just five questions. So it'll be quite uh, quick. And a little introduction to Linda Fruvatova on the women's side. We're going to fly through it. Keep up. Here we go. Right. I think, Gav, we can start with the venue change. Yeah, for, for those that don't know, the tournament used to take place in Crandon Park in Key Biscayne. Quite a small venue relatively for a Masters tournament. They always wanted mm-hmm. to upsize. When they did think about upsizing, there was a bit of pushback from the, the locals in Crandon Park and they had to change venues inevitably to, to house the amount of uh, spectators that, that, that they were getting demand for, basically. So Stephen Ross, owner of the Miami Dolphins, suggested their home ground, the Hard Rock Stadium, was the new venue. James Blake, the tournament director, accepted the suggestion, built 30 court strong ground around the venue. Obviously, a lot of money poured into making the new venue work. Mm-hmm. Bit supersized, in my opinion, you know, sort of like a very American feeling. But at the same time, maybe we shouldn't be so skeptical of the venue. It does look like it's all sort of well intended, you know, to make the, mm-hmm. the tournament, you know, more people can attend it basically. And, you know, it actually does house the demand for it. I don't know. How do you feel, Gavin? I'm kind of in two minds myself, I don't to be like honest. It. I don't like it at all. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. I've probably just been a traditionalist, but I think uh, Crandon Park was unique in the fact that it had sort of like, it was a Masters, a big event, but it had sort of a more fan-friendly feel. Um, you see, like Indian Wells now, for example, feels very corporate, almost feels very much sort of, not elitist, I would say, but it feel, it does feel that sort of corporate, you know, the casual tennis fan sort of thing. Um, especially if you look at the ticket prices for it, that probably is a fair reflection. But uh, no, Grandin Park, the venue as well, the colour of the court was unique. You know what I mean? It felt like a very much unique event. Um, I love the centre court there. I think the centre court in Miami, the old Miami, was one of the best centre courts they had in the game. You can actually still play there if you fancy flying to Miami to play. You can play on the main centre court there for thirty dollars, I think, for an hour. Which is what? It's a lot of money. But how, ca- um, how is that a lot of money? That's that mega cheap. Thirty <laughs> I mean, that's like twenty-eight quid. I mean, that's all relative to playing tennis. It's, it's quite expensive. Can, but can playing on centre court, Lane, and we live when Andy won it. I guess so. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I'd pay it. It's sort of more expensive than your average tennis court, but it's is that thirty. Is that thirty dollars each? I don't know. I think it's just thirty dollars for the court hire. Um, That's good. Yeah. So, the old Miami had something special about it. For me, they've just ruined it now. If you look at the main stadium court, it's inside the Hard Rock Stadium, but it's part of the stadium. It's not even the full stadium. What they've done is they've taken a corner of the stadium. Yeah. And they've basically just like almost like. It's weird because like the seats, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look natural. It doesn't feel like it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't look like a tennis yeah, it stadium. Feel like a main stadium, it feels almost like yeah. a temporary thing. You know, it just doesn't feel properly. You know, proper. I guess I know why they've moved. It's because of the money and because of the demand. But for me, no, they've ruined it for me a wee bit. I'm in, I'm in two. 
I'm in two minds, I think, Gav. Like, Kyrgios himself was talking about it during his match with Adrian Manorino, said what was wrong with Key Biscayne, why did we move it? Worst idea ever, classic Kyrgios sort of pushback. And I think a lot of people have that gut feeling. And I kind of had that gut feeling. I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, yeah, as you say, it's mm. been corporatized, basically. Yeah, it one, feels thing, a... one thing that's good about it, I like the court colour. The colour, the blue colours of the court, you know, that's quite that's quite good. Um, yeah. I don't like the facilities. It's, it looks like a car park. In fact, I think some of the It does a bit. In the car park. I mean, it feels like yeah. sort of... It doesn't feel like a prestigious tournament to me. That's maybe been a at the same. Fun. At the same time, obviously, I've not, we've we've not uh, been there. From what I've seen of the the grounds, there's a lot going on. To be fair, and and somebody like James Blake, I kind of trust the guy's judgment in some ways. It does seem like he's went the extra mile to set up a lot of different things in the ground. It doesn't look as bland outside of the main court as you'd expect the center court. I really have an issue with. I think it oh, looks really. Awful. It looks yeah. awful. It, it doesn't feel. Like it's a tennis, it's too big as well for a tennis um, mm. stadium. Like I, I makeshift, it feels very makeshift. It doesn't feel like its own thing. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, um, but you know, overall, actually, I'm not as bothered about the the change as as maybe I was but at it's first. No, it's no, no maybe, maybe not. And also, Andy doesn't live right next to it, so no home advantage. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, a bit pushback from most fans and you know mm-hmm. ourselves as well, but hopefully it, it, they, they settle into the role for, for years to come. Maybe they're not quite there yet. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Diving into some of the tennis, I'd like to talk about Andy first, if that's okay. Very quickly talk about his okay. first match and his, his classic you know, first round win, second round loss record. He mm-hmm. was pretty good against Delbonis, I thought, and again, I'm drawing plenty of positive encouragement from that because it was it was it was decent. Delbonis played a high level as well. Like, I actually feared yeah. Delbonis before the match because his record on outside of clay was pretty ugly for the past mm-hmm. couple of seasons. Um, and of course, whenever Delbonis plays, all the commentators want to talk about his ball toss, but actually. He played pretty well, Del Bonis. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Murray, Murray was forced to, to produce a high level, and he did. And after that first set, that long first set, um, you know, he, he was class in the second set, I thought. It was like Andy of old, you know, like get uh, tight first set and then like one-sided second set. That doesn't happen. Yeah, he ever, yeah. Momentum and he didn't let Del Bonis back in. So, yeah, not not at all. It, it was tidy. Uh, going into the the tiebreak, I was I was so worried. Um, Andy six fourteen in tiebreak since the beginning of twenty twenty one, and really hadn't done well in in that scenario. And he he was he was comfortable. I, I mean, I think there was one point the bonus kind of gave him, um, but apart from that, a lot of you know tidy serve, tidy forehand, and then finish it at the net. The disguise on the backhand outfoxing Del Bonis a bunch of times, especially in that tiebreak. It was it was you know really comfortable. Seventy seven percent of first serves in as well. That's unheard of for Andy. Unheard of in the modern Andy era. Yeah, we're going to call it that. But yeah, last couple of years anyway. For, uh, that's his highest first serve percentage. Uh, since 2015 Queens is what I've got down here, wow. yeah. So seven years, I know, yeah, yeah. crazy. Obviously, Del Bonis, maybe not the best returner in the world, and obviously when he went into his next match against Medvedev, that first serve percentage dipped. It's not like Andy just serves badly against good returners, coincidentally. It's, you know, people sort of see his first serve, it's like, oh, if only Andy had got his first serves, and it's not, mm-hmm. that's not how it works, you know. It's like, he he feels the pressure to get the, the first serves in the right spots. When he's playing Medvedev, the ball's going to come back more often than not, so he's got to try yeah. and, you know, he's, he's more, yeah, he's under more pressure on that serve. Yeah, and he, he had a healthy percentage of first serves won against Medvedev so he was obviously he was taking quite a lot of risk on but you know it kind of just went as you expected to be honest he was never beating Medvedev just too many second serve points gonna 
you go Medvedev's way and not vice versa. It's not like Andy can cover his, or it's not. It's Medvedev can cover his own second serve really well. Sorry, uh, the other way around. Uh, you know, it was just one measly break of serve in the first set that made the difference, and then the second he kind of just went away a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, positives to draw on that double honest match. People like Medvedev in the second round. That's not going to do Andy any favors at any point. I don't it's, see that well, winning. It's not a kind draw, is it? I mean, that's the problem. I mean, you're not going to get kind draws, but like you'd hope to build a bit of momentum. So, but Medvedev's taking the piss, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the worst draw you could get in a slower court as well. Slow hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Medvedev. Yeah, uh, first time Ivan had been in the the box. Ivan even had been yeah. in the box since but they paired up. Excitement, I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, there, there's unlikely to be any matches until Queens, or unless he does like a she smaller tournament. Nottingham Challenger, maybe he played a Nottingham Challenger. Still a while away though, isn't it? Um, June, like June the third. I think that starts off the top of my head. So yeah, it'll be a while. Yeah, but so um, yeah, two or three months. Yeah, I think it's actually you know. I know I was saying for the past year that he needs to play more challenges or more he needs to play more tennis, but I think now that he's played a lot of tournament tennis in succession, um, I think it's quite good if he can just get on the grass court to maybe prepare at Wimbledon, practice at Wimbledon a lot on the courts there. But I think it's going to be quite positive for him. I think he'll have a really good grass court season. I think. Yeah, yeah. After something like that, I'm definitely encouraged. It depends on the draw. It always depends on the draw, doesn't it? Especially at Wimbledon, best of five. He needs a really. But you could get you yeah, and you're you're right. You could get given quite a comfortable seed relatively on grass. Definitely, you know, it depends who he gets given you. You consider like some Medvedev, your Medvedevs and your sinners are not accomplished grass court players yet. You know, it's probably yeah. the best surface for him. You know, it's best yeah, Medvedev to make an impact. Medvedev's getting there definitely. He's getting he was, there, but... he, he was okay last year, and um, I think you know somebody like Hercatch, obviously Berrettini, those sort of players you want, you'd like to avoid. But he could take Zverev, sits a pass any day in a grass court. Let's talk about a few of the upsets that have happened so far because there have been plenty of them. The first one I'd like to talk about is Kyrgios and Rublev. Kyrgios beating Rublev, yeah, in the second round. Yeah, Rublev, Rublev. Yeah, Rublev, Rublev. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, watching the match. It, it was no answer, it was nothing to do with Rublev really. It's just you know, Kyrgios, the, the one weakness of Rublev, Kyrgios totally exploited that second serve. He was taking it within like a meter of the baseline, giving him mm. absolutely no time. There are few players that can do that. Obviously, it takes a very high level of execution and hand-eye coordination to cover that, uh, to to pull that sort of thing off. Obviously, but at the same time, he t- kind of took it to the nth degree, and I mean, free and love. That was all Kyrgios. It was yeah, very, I mean, very little to do with Rublev. That, on that second serve of Rublev, I mean, I think we saw it against Fritz as well in Indian Wells, especially in that first set when Rublev was like just not placing his first serve in, but not like getting the location in his second serve. Um, you know, that was being punished a lot. So I think that's an area he needs to work on because it's not just it's like not just the pace of the second serve; it's also the location as well. I don't think it, you know it's not really against the top guys. It's not going to really provide enough of a test for them, you know. Mm-hmm. I would say, but yeah, I, I agree definitely. I think moving forward, obviously, we talked about it a bit in the last pod. Kyrgios's return games one percent is sort of mid middle of the board. Basically, it used to be right down there at the bottom three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's much much higher than it's been in previous years. He could beat anybody feeling like this, and if he's if he's sort of healthy and he he stays recovered after his matches, then this Kyrgios center match that we're going to see this evening could go either way for me. Yeah, it'll be excellent. Another one I'd like to talk about: Francisco Serendulo beating Riley Apelka and Gael Monfils. 
Pelka, yeah, Pelka looked injured though. He was, he, he was yeah, yeah, he was. He, um, he was my pick for the title as well. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. He was. Yeah, I'm a bigger Pelka fan. I thought he was going to play, especially how well he's been playing the past, um, well, really this season, really, uh, winning that title in Dallas and played really yeah. well against Raf and Indian Wells. But typical injured, unfortunately. One tournament I predicted to win and he's injured, but. Yeah, I mean, quite lucky for Serendulo that he, and I'm not, I'm not scared of using the word lucky in this case because Apelka, you don't, you don't go six one three one up against Apelka if he's if he's even close to being fit, basically. Yeah. So right shoulder injury stopping him from serving properly. Um, yeah, I mean, Serendulo will get every ball back. We've got to give him credit for that. But at the same time, Apelka definitely wasn't up for that match against Monfils as well. That was a bit better, definitely. You know, Monfils yeah. still playing half decent tennis, definitely nowhere near the level that he played against Medvedev, to be fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at uh, Monfils's, what was it? Forehand winners to unforced errors, two forehand winners to eleven unforced errors—a far, far cry from his level against Medvedev. Yeah, I think that's sort of what it's going to be like with Monfils. Um, from now on in, I think there will be matches where he plays really, really well. But I, I, the reason I don't think he's going to win like a slam or a masses, I'm not convinced he can, you know, keep that up against the top guys. And maybe when there's more pressure and you've got better players playing against, him as we go deeper into tournaments, it'll be more difficult for him. But um, yeah, I think it's just going to be take the rough for the smooth with a bomb piece. Yeah, definitely. Um, at the same time, yeah, let's give credit to Serendulo. The two Serendulo brothers mm. hadn't, or they'd won one ATP match between them in their careers. And then all of a sudden, the two of them put together multiple wins at the same event. They're very oddly synchronized, I've got to say. Uh, Juan Manuel Serendulo had beat Dusan Lajevic and Kevin Anderson before losing to TFO, and Serendulo. Fran Serendulo, sorry, will play TFO tonight. Yeah, so, that'll be a good yeah. match. Yeah, should be. Serendulo, both of them, the two Serendulos, I, I think, I didn't think they had any chance in hard courts. But honestly, we talk about the conditions. I assumed Miami would be a little faster, but it, it looks like it's playing slower this year. A bit slower, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. Medvedev was saying actually yesterday against after his win against Martinez. He said he found it difficult to break Martinez down just because he felt that Martinez would play better. On the slower hard court, so quite interesting hearing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it definitely falls into the hands of players like Serendulo, who are mm-hmm. Serendulo, the two of them, sorry, Serendulo, uh, yeah. I guess, Serendulo, <laughs> that's the pluralized version. Um, the Serendulo play on clay better, obviously, generally. Um, so, yeah, you're getting a lot of players who don't necessarily have the biggest serves getting through to the latter stages of these rounds at the moment. But there are a couple of the upsets. I mean, there's other stuff, but I'd like like to move on to a bit of the drama that went on as well because there's plenty to cover here. First thing I'd like to talk about is Jensen Brooksby's racket throw. What's your thoughts on it? Do you think it should have been DQ'd? That's harsh, but at the same time, this is everybody's calling for something to happen now because things are just getting like off the left, right, and centre basically. And yeah, for me, I don't think he intentionally meant to harm someone. Um, there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, look what happened with Djokovic," and I think it's similar. I thought. My, my answer to it would be that I, I think maybe there should be a punishment, but I don't think they should be DQ'd. So in other words, I don't yeah. think Djokovic mm-hmm. should have been DQ'd, but I don't think Brooksby should have been DQ'd. I think a fine or maybe a warning or maybe something to do with, like, I don't know about a suspension even, but so maybe some, maybe there should be like a three-strike policy where, like, if you do it once, you get it noted on your record. Then if you do it once more, you maybe get a week suspension. Yeah, yeah. Do so, it once so, more, you get maybe a month suspension. If you do it again, I don't know. I like that. Six months, something like that. Maybe you just need a bit of common sense because. You know, people either people call for wildly 
misproportionate punishment, like, oh, he should be banned for six months. I mean, that's the yeah. come off. Uh-huh. You know, or, but I think there does need to be something because you can't just allow it to keep happening because, you know, officials will be not worried to go in the court. But I think officials will feel that the game's maybe not standing up for them. You know, the governing bodies yeah. are not showing them any concern. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I agree. I like I like the strike system. I think that's a really good idea. Uh, I think you know, even if that's an accident, that's definitely you know something should happen there to stop from happening again. Yep. Strike system, hundred percent. That fo- that 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 follows on from each match, basically. So you're not just yep. getting the punishment within the match. I think that's a good idea. Next thing I'd like to talk about on a positive. This happened last time, was it actually really weirdly? So in Acapulco, when Zverev like smashed the umpire's chair, my next story was. Yannick Sinner saving match points as like yeah. positive drama. So the Yannick Sinner coming out with the 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 positive, uh, positive drama point. plays again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny actually. Ultimate pressure player, absolutely love him. He's so mm. good. Uh, this, this is this is a USP for me. He is so so solid under pressure, better yeah. than anybody else at the moment. I would say just given his track record. So on in the first round, Emil Rusevori three match points saved. Second round. Or, whatever third round in his case because he got a bye against PCB five match points saved yep I mean PCB doesn't give you match points for free yeah I mean I think especially during the PCB match his level was like nowhere near where it should be you know what I mean like he was all, I, I don't think he'll, he'll be annoyed with people for saying that he was really nowhere near his usual standard in that match mm-hmm. I think this is the problem with PCB though and it was actually it was going through my mind when Batista Gu lost yesterday to Brooks Beef and being I think double break up in the final set Mm. Players like them who are very, very solid but don't necessarily have a huge weapon on the serve, so they don't have like a 120 mile an hour bomb that's going to get them consistent three points in the serve. I think it's always open because these guys, you know, these guys, they don't have like the massive firepower on the forehand, so they're not going to be rushing their opponent in the back. You know, it's very much going to be dependent on the rallies. I think in yeah. the case of Sinner, Sinner had lost his timing uh, in the same way that Brooksby had lost his timing yesterday, but they both, when they found their timing again, were able to put pressure back on their opponents and get the win. So I think that it sort of shows you um, if you don't have a major weapon but are very good from the back, it's still you know it's still not all said and done. Even if you are a double break up against these players, because if they find their timing again, then uh, they can easily the tables can easily turn. Yeah, I mean it's interesting you say that because we had the polar opposite of that in the previous match. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Rusevori was also up a break. He does have a major weapon in his game in in his forehand. Yeah, I think I think with Rusevori it's more mental. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, completely. Seen, yeah, but he's maybe not as experienced, but like against Batista Gu and uh, Pablo Greno Busta, who are two seasoned campaigners, have won big titles, have won at the ATP 500 level, have reached Grand Slam semi-finals even. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with them, I don't think it's mental. I think it was more the case of they just don't have the big weapon to slam the door, you know, as yeah. easily. Yeah, definitely. I, I So yeah, we, we saw both sides of... Sinner being that, able yeah. to dig in and, and, and save match points. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens against Kyrgios tonight, you know he's 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 just he's 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 ticked off another sort of objective in his mm-hmm. book of just or he's he's made himself more of a pressure player um, yeah. than he was before. He's he's such an impressive player. I, I'm really excited to see where he keeps going. Obviously, the limelight has completely been on Alcaraz recently. Mm-hmm. I think people are easily forgetting how good a player center is, and he's going to take advantage. Definitely. Definitely. One last thing I'd like to talk about in drama: Tanasi Kokonakis's forehand pass to annoying against Schwarzman. Mm-hmm. Just uh, go watch it. It's amazing. Absolutely. Most insane match point save I think I've ever seen. It turned out to be crucial as he took the second set tie break and then uh, one on the, the third. Yeah, very cool. 
And one more category. I'd like to talk mm. about the ridiculous in Miami. Shot of the year contender. JJ as, yeah, JJ Wolf. It's a left-handed running forehand pass against Steph Sitsipas. He said after the match, apparently, that he warms up left-handed thanks to a habit formed after breaking his right wrist playing football years ago. Well, well, yeah. So uh, it, it's... Coming up left-handed then. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not total just like fluke that he came up with that shot. It doesn't look like a fluke when he came up mm. with that shot, to be fair, because he pretty much nails it. Struck but, it perfectly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there you go. That, that's that's part of the reason why. Hey, Biblick and his handle smash shot. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of that. I must admit. I Come on! Nah, it's, nah, nah, nah. it's it's just public, isn't it? It's public, but there comes a point where you cross that line. For me, nah, it's ending into a wee bit of a farce. But good to watch public, but no, I wasn't particularly. I mean, you see the scoreline three and two. Come on, I want to try a wee bit better than that. Yeah, Big fair enough. Things. I'm 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 team Bublik there. It's very yeah, good fun. Miserable grumpy tradition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good fun. I enjoy it. And uh, one with Kyrgios as well. Someone in the crowd screams underarm serve when Kyrgios is playing Fanini, and he mm. obliges, misses the serve. Um, I like that. Fanini said, "Don't do it again." Jokingly across the net. Uh, yeah, just a bit of fun again. The two of them, you know, they're playing well. To be fair, mm. they so, were. Yeah. Were. Uh, last, I've got this just plugged in at the end. It's not ridiculous. It's not anything. It's just because it's Marin, I guess. Uh, Alcaraz defeating Chilich uh, yesterday. Yeah. The podcast favorite Marin Chilich. Yeah, um, I just thought it's worth covering. Yeah, look, I mean, before the match, I thought Alcaraz was the favorite, and I, I, I was worried for the Chilich forehand because he's going to obviously have to go for it more against Alcaraz, and when he has to really, really redline that forehand, it either goes terrifically well, and there was some great forehands during the match that he hit. Or some absolute horror shows, and there were some absolute horror shows as well. So yeah, it was yeah, like, some, oh. I mean, there were some bad ones there. But overall, I think if you had to give him a score out of 10, he'd probably play in a solid 7, 8 out of 10. Yeah, yeah I felt like I think he could have done. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. That, that, a good match. That's why I wanted to bring it up because Chelich didn't play a terrible match. Just Alcaraz was unreal. Some of the lobs he was pulling out, man. Honestly, and mind, those forehand misses, a lot of them are probably because he's trying to go for it hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not like it's not like his te- his technique was bad or his attitude was bad. We just thought, fuck it, I need to go for it. I think he generally yeah. thought the only way for me to win this match is if I absolutely hit my forehand perfectly. It did yeah. come off sometimes, but you know, I think yeah, solid match from man. And if he can continue playing like that, no reason yeah. why he can't win a title of two fifty or something. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, Robbie Koenig called the lobs daylight lobbery, by the way. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, I heard that. That's brilliant, Robbie Koenig, yeah. <laughs> this is good. I've got to say, honestly, big fan of that one. Uh, final thing on the men's side before we move on to the women's, just quickly talking about Marbella, the challenger that's going on uh, on the other side of the world. It's, it's being held at the Is it being held at the same place where they hold the ATP 250 event there? The Andalusia Open, I think it is, isn't it? It could be. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. Yes, I think. Yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So one of the toughest challenger draws I've ever seen, personally. Top seed Dominic Team making his return. Stan currently losing to Elias Emer, neither of which have are seeded. By the way, it just gives break you an idea. Is he a break up in the yeah. second? There we go. He could yeah. do well then. Imagine Emer thinking, "Oh yeah, challenger this week. I'm gonna have a tough opponent." And he sees the Stan Bavrinka first match. I know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's crazy. Jean Menard seeded six as well. I mean, last year's winner of it, wasn't he? Yeah, he made yeah. the final of the ATP 250 the week, the week after. Yeah. ECB. Crazy stuff. 
Good luck to everybody there. Obviously, team, I think I, I'm giving my most luck to. I hope he does really well. I'm a stand the man. Guy all the way. Either either of them could do well. I don't mind. I just expect team to do better than, than Stan at the moment, but we'll yeah, see. Probably true, actually, yeah. But yeah. Good luck to good luck to all. Good luck yeah, to all. Definitely. Um let's move on to the women's side of the tournament. Mm. I think first thing outside of the tournament, I guess, is Ash Barty's retirement. Yes, came as a big shock to me. Does it come as a big shock to you? Yeah, of course. Yes, you yeah. Did. yeah, yeah. I was, I was pretty upset at first. I got to say, I, I, you know, I'm really keen to see more of Ash Barty and how she paired up against different players and stuff. Yeah. But so seeing her talk about it, it's fair enough. You know, I she just felt... wanted to see her go for the career slam. That was. Really... Yeah, so did I. Yeah, but. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't in her um, checklist. You know, she she's done what she needed to do. Wimbledon. If it was for her, I feel like Australia wasn't even a goal she necessarily had. It was more for everybody else. You know, she felt like that was what was expected of her sort of thing. And then when she got that out of the way. Well, we're probably it. being biased, but Wimbledon is the, the crown jewel. Yeah. No, nah, it's not biased. It's not biased at all, yeah, really, you know. British tennis fans. But... I know, I know. I don't really feel a home affinity to it, I've got to say. I just, uh, you know, maybe a wee bit, but I suppose I've been a few know. times. Um, still. Well, Thought you'd be like yeah, that's true. That's uh, that. That's true. I thought you'd be requesting to buy the land to it and whatever. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's true. Um, Yeah, no, I I don't at all. You know, I I get get why Wimbledon was was on our uh, list of priorities above everything else, basically. But I, I I still think yeah, she didn't feel if she's if she doesn't feel inspired to do it, then it makes sense that she'd walk away from the sport. That's very Ash Barty. So yeah. Very inspiring uh, to see her walk away from that. I've got to say, it was very impressive and probably quite brave of her to do. So, mm. have you got a small quiz for us, Gav? We have a small quiz, small but uh, good quiz. Hopefully, hopefully it passes the podcast approval for quizzes. The standard, the bar has been set quite high. But okay, okay, it could be tough for me. I've got to say. Okay, <laughs> are you are you ready just to, to fire in? Yeah, just dive in. Okay, Go for so it. Question one. Not an, is it an easy starter? I don't know. How many singles titles did Ash Barty win in her career? Oh, that's hard. I'm going to say I might be close, but I don't think I'll get it right. I think she could be around 14. I'm going all Chris Tarrant here. Final answer. <laughs> I'll go final answer. Yeah, I don't think it's right. But it could be 15. Uh, it's, it's, it's wrong on 15. 15. Yeah, yeah, I actually felt cool. 15, yeah. <laughs> if we did this podcast before the Australian Open, you would have been bang on. But Give uh, me half a mark for plus or minus one. Okay, well. Yeah, I'll take that. Okay, so that's question one out of the way. Right, question <laughs> two. Ash Barty has made six Grand Slam doubles finals. So, first of all, how many has she won? One. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right, for a bonus point, she made four of those finals with the same partner. Mm-hmm. Who was the player? Was it her? Was it Casey Delacroix? Good pronunciation. Yeah, it was Casey ah, okay. Delacroix. Cool. I thought Delacroix, but you, you've you've uh, exceeded the <laughs> pronunciation there. Wow, that, that is... <laughs> we'll <laughs> take that. it. <laughs> right, question three. Mm-hmm. Barty won a bronze medal at the Summer Olympics in Tokyo last year. Mm-hmm. Who was her partner? I totally forgot that. Um, I think it was Storm Sanders. Incorrect. Uh, it was John Pierce. Oh, it was mixed. 
slipping mixed. This isn't, this isn't part of the quiz, but uh, uh, who did who did they? Well, I say who did they beat in the final, or who were they meant to play in the final? Might be a better clue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were meant. They were meant. They were meant to play Djokovic and. Bah, who was he with? Who was he with? Um, is it Stoyanovic? Stoyanovic, correct. Is it? Oh, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Well, that's... I pulled that out. You pulled that out of the bag. Okay, yeah, yeah. Question four of five. Mm-hmm. Party won the WTA finals once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the year, first of all, and what mm-hmm. was the score in the in the final? So the opponent was Lena Svitolina. I'll get that mm-hmm. out of the way. Mm-hmm. But what was the which year was the did she win it, and what was the score in the final? Was it twenty nineteen? It was twenty nineteen. Was the score? I don't remember this. I'm gonna get have to guess here. I think three and four. Four and three. Four and three. Is it four and three? <laughs> it was three and four. It was three and four. It was three and four. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll take that. That's, yeah, first answer. That's the that's the rules of uh, that's what Chris Tarrant would I give me. Double bluff you there. But, um, <laughs> final question is: What was her final WT one thousand title that she won in her career? Oh, I, I know that. That was um, it was Cincinnati. It was correct. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a quick quiz. I thought I'd get you with the the Casey Delacqua question, but you you just pulled out. Pulled out. Yeah, I, I was pretty, I was quite sure about that. I was quite... out the bag as well. <laughs> Not that in that name. Delacqua, Delacroix, whichever, whichever it is. You've made the pass, Mark. You can, you can come back on next week. Yes, here we go. Um, I, I'm sad to see her go. That's obviously, yeah, that's part oh, of words in that. Yeah. Dreadful. And she was like the one player in the modern game you could do- you were like dominating, wasn't she? Like whenever she played, you thought she'd win, and that's just like totally at odds with how the women's games going at the moment. I know went went away in a high, basically the peak of her career. But yeah. as as we see, it's very ash party. So best board. of luck to whatever she, she does. The peak. Yeah, be on board. But... I know. Yeah, yeah. Might come back. Never know. She could. I think maybe a few years away just to get reacquainted with family and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think you know that's just what she's missing in her life when she kind of gets that out of her system maybe i don't know but yeah best of luck to her whatever she does obviously Absolutely. you know very likable player so fingers crossed right moving on to what's happened in miami a few of the upsets first i have covered a little bit of this in a blog article i've written so i will very quickly go over a couple of them the first one for example, Sabalenka and Begu, I have covered the top seed going out. Not much of an upset nowadays with Sabalenka about 20 in the race to uh, well, the WTA finals. Don't know what it is yet. Um, so not, yeah, not number five in the world anyway, definitely. You know, the one thing I wanted to mention basically was she's been very up and down on serve and everybody's aware of that. You know, the double faults rife in her game. However, against Begu, she didn't break serve once, and that is also becoming an issue in that, you know, she can maybe get away with not serving brilliantly if she was able to return fantastically, consistently, but she just, you know, there was nowhere to be found against Begu. She wasn't getting that angle shot. It was all muscle. I don't know if you've watched Sabalenka loads, Gav, but she does kind of just hit through the court rather than around her player. Yeah, not much feel. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah and you know we see variation in her game sometimes when she's playing very well but mm-hmm. she only does it as like a 
she doesn't even need to to have variation in her game when she's playing her best. Yeah. So it's it's just about having that those those shots that sort of cut the court, and then you can have hit... the confidence to play them more often. I think. Yeah. Like main takeaway from it. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's if 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 she can get those returns sort of cutting the court and you know cutting the sidelines before the the baseline, she pulls her opponent off court and then she can muscle it into the space. But she was just muscling every ball, missing eventually. It was it was quite ugly tennis, I've got to say. And obviously Sabalenka is quite prone to that a lot of the time, but it really was poor, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, so she's going to have to have a, a long, hard look at what she's going to do in the season to come, especially with the clay season coming up. Obviously, she was brilliant in Madrid last year, but that plays a lot more like a hard well, court than a clay defense. court. That's yeah. going to be... Yeah, see what happens there. Definitely. And a shout-out to Begu, who played a left-handed shot, just like Gigi Wolf. Yeah. Well, but it, I mean, left-handed shot. I know, yeah, yeah. Well, it was nowhere near as good because it was, it was a defensive one. But... Rafa not being there, it's like a tribute show from the ATP and WT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally true, yeah. Paying tribute to the, the old legend, indeed. Well, maybe they're both just Cam Norrie fans. You don't know. Maybe they're just going to rip. Yeah. That's really what it is, probably. But... It would be that, probably, yeah. A bit on Anne Lee versus Contivate. Contivate obviously kind of beats herself a lot of the time when she does lose, you know, especially if she gets bageled in the first set. That's not all Anne Lee, certainly. But just interesting to see, you know, Anne Lee definitely deserved the match overall. She's only 21 years old, we've got to remember, already an established member of the top 100. Interesting to see what kind of weapons she can use in the future to get ahead in the game. She's got a really good serve for somebody who's five foot seven. Uh, she's got that crazy, you know, sort of knee bend the same way Federer does. It looks quite a lot like Federer's serve, actually. Yeah. And she's very good at placing it. You know, like like Barty, who sort of ushered in this new breed of player, she was really good at, at placing the serve and it, it made all the difference against her. Oh, really yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, a lot a lot of Federer similarities. Federer's then, uh, you've got a good serve, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And she was quite good in the forecourt as well. Again, like Federer, obviously, you know, not as comfortable coming forward without as much power from her own shots. But when she did come forward, she did really well. It's surprising for somebody who was like 600 ranked in the doubles rankings or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit more on that on the, the blog. I, you know, I think maybe just read that there. But yeah, just interesting to see that Contivate didn't totally beat herself and that Anne Lee is a bit more dangerous than you might expect. Another one, Gav. I'm sure you'll have a bit to talk about here. Sinyakova defeating Radicanu. Yes, uh, very similar to the way that Radicanu lost in Indian Wells, wasn't it? I mean, the way that she was serving for it, and then just the final ten minutes, she was just not not good at all, was she? Really in the no, no, no. Um, that's probably the want to sort of lay into because that. I mean, I don't think it's really warranted. I mean, it's not as if she totally just you know down tools, but it, it, to me, it just seemed like the tactic. I think she had the easy. Was it easy? ball down the line, the forehand down the line that she should have gone for. I think um yeah. Andrew Osborne was talking about it. Then she hits back cross court, you know, and uh Sinyakova sort of um allowing Sinyakova rather to to get back into the point. So it was sort of like for me, she just didn't put the ball away. Maybe she was being a little bit nervous, you know, the fact that she'd been in that situation ending wells and not really taking advantage. Um but I'm yeah. not overly concerned yet. I mean it's not as if she's getting walloped off the court week in, week out, loving two. Uh, yeah, and yeah, exactly. Matches, but that's the way the WTA tour has been for every every player in the tour. I think yeah, yeah. people are getting I think uh, was it Daniela Handikova that made that ludicrous criticism of her. She, yeah, she backed herself up to be fair. I think the full interview was a lot less scathing than yeah, than people made it look. Know. I think it's just been a wee bit just be patient, you know, it's gonna take time. Uh, definitely used to that adjustment as well, um, of winning a slam and Having more pressure on you, I think 
sort of I was I just what I expected, you know, a couple of tight defeats and everyone's saying it's a disaster. I think people just need to calm down a wee bit, you know. She she's she's mixing with the top one hundred eighteen years old. Obviously yeah. she has set the bar it's with that US Open win, close. but even if she's not getting over the line, she's not getting thrashed at eleven two. We can we can yeah. tight three set match. Not yeah, exactly. getting totally outplayed. Sinyakova, I mean, she's also not one that's, you know, shies away from an upset. Like, you know, mm. she beat Naomi Osaka at the French in 2019, Serena yeah. Williams last year in Parma, Caroline Garcia at number four. Former number one doubles player in the world as well. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Obviously yeah. has the game and the, you know, to, to deal with pressure and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, definitely, you know, not a bad loss at all. I think let's just leave it alone. Again, you know, as always, this is just going to become a running theme now, obviously. Honestly, um, leave Emma alone. That's what's going to be worse. It will be like, we'll be seeing the disaster. We'll get all the armchair experts out seeing who she coach and whatnot. I know, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She'll be okay, I'm sure. Be all right. Oh. One last one I'd like to talk about, Haddad Maya defeating Sakari. I don't know if you saw that. but That's one match I didn't get to see, but um, great win for her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was it was two lopsided sets, one and two, and a 6-4 set in between that Sakari won. There are times where Sakari has looked a little lacklustre on returning her career. Maybe the one aspect of her game that could do with quite a significant improvement against Haddad Maya, not the biggest server in the game, only won 30% of her return points. Do you know, maybe there's a lot of fatigue there. I, I would definitely say that. I expected her to be fine as the sort of physical specimen of the WTA Tour, I guess, but maybe not the case. It's quite hard to tell at the time if players are fatigued. Certainly, she wasn't hitting the ball quite as hard as she, she can. It was in the final of Indian Wells, and I guess that's why maybe the, what's it, the sunshine doubles so hard to sort of achieve because not just the physical toll, but the mental toll as well. I mean of getting to these big matches and having to do it the following week. I mean, that, that's tough in itself. And obviously, Sakari had a disappointment in that final, but um, you know, she still got to that final in Indian Wells. That would have taken a lot of energy out of her, both physically and mentally. So then you've got to go straight to Miami. And it is mm-hmm. difficult. I mean, let's not go. I know these, people, know these players are professionals, but even then, it's the highest level of sport you can, you can play. It's going to take something out of you. So mm-hmm. maybe not too unexpected, but still, yeah, still a bit of a surprise, obviously. Definitely, yeah. Unfortunately, Sakari and Halep now at the tournament, they were my favourites to win. Halep withdrew, at least, you know, with a thigh injury. And Sakari also. Schwantek, of course, I should have backed her. You know, she's yeah. she, she, she's knackered, but she's just playing perfect tennis at the moment. So um, we're not going to get too much into Schwantek. There'll be plenty of opportunity to talk about Schwantek as the week progresses, I am sure. So I would like to instead look towards a 16-year-old in the draw, Linda Fruvatova, who... Yep has kind of announced herself to the scene. Obviously, we had Brenda announcing herself with the two ITF titles a few months ago uh, at 14 years old. Linda now announcing herself to the tour at Miami has now won you know three matches in a row. She, uh, she beat Elise Mertens in the second round, though, and she beat Vika Azarenka in the third round with a oh. very odd finish to the match. It was very club tennis, that. Very, very it was. Yeah, yeah, it totally was. And I think that's that quite a good way to put it, Gav. Those league stuff. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically what happened, uh, 6-2, three of up, Azarenka just walked off the court without saying a word. She did say after the match, a lot going on in her personal life, maybe we can give her the benefit of the doubt with what's going on in Belarus, obviously, at the moment. At the same time, very, very unprofessional. Yeah. And, I, 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 you know, to do that to a 16-year-old as well, who's just announced herself to probably like she's biggest the, match of her career she saw the writing on the wall and didn't want to lose a completed match to a 16 year old i think that's what it sort of came across to me really uh, it might Same. seem a bit harsh but you know even if even if you've got difficult personal life if you lose it's going to be what 
15 minutes more on the court at most. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Svitolina completed her match against Heather Watson, you know, third set tiebreak. Obviously incredibly difficult to finish that match with everything that's going on for her. She said that herself, but she still got the match finished. You know, I, I think it's, it's very poor. Definitely. Obviously easy for us to say, and I'm sure there's a lot going on, but still, I, I yeah, I, I definitely am not impressed by that. And I think to take that away from Linda, probably her biggest match of her career for sure, um, was, was, yeah, a bit backstabby, definitely. Yeah, a bit of the differences between her her game even and her sisters, obviously already I've seen a few articles that have used photos of Brenda Fruvitova instead of Linda Fruvitova. I mean, it's so such early days and they're still already getting that wrong. Anyway, there are differences between the two players. Obviously, Linda Fruvitova quite a bit older, so the forehand is definitely miles better than her sisters at the moment. Both have the backhand power in the same vein as, as one another, able to rifle it down the line really easily. Two other defining characteristics, though, that make her stick out from the crowd. Able to take on the return very early, kind of Schwante-esque, stepping right into the court and second serve, taking the time away from her opponents as much as possible. Really good at taking on the ball early, basically. And the disguise on her slices and drop shots, kind of like Jensen Brooksby. Keeps both her hands on the racket. It worked really well to keep herself in some of the points and add a bit of flair when she was uh, when Azarenko was getting a bit comfortable from the back of the court. So, yeah. kind of cool. Anyway, yeah, keep an eye out for her. Obviously, doing stuff already. Not many players as accomplished at 16 years old, so we'll be interested to see what happens. She has already lost to Bedosa, two and three. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, massive breakthrough for her. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Final thing. I was just going to talk about uh, or mention a few of the matches to, to watch tonight. Maybe we could do quick picks for them, Gav, before we finish, if you like. Right, so quarterfinals are set for the ladies. We've got Benchich Savile. Benchich. Yep. Asaka Collins. Asaka. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's Obviously, you've got to back Asaka. you got to back Asaka, but... That's not going to be as easy as it sounds. Oh, no, it doesn't sound easy, sorry, but you know what I mean? It's not going to be easy, definitely. Mm-hmm. Collins playing amazing tennis on a hard court. So, three sets, Osaka? Yes, six points. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good shout, Gav. Jessica Pagula, Paula Bedosa? I'm going Bedosa. Yeah. My opinion on Pegula is she beats everybody that's trying to blow her and she beats everybody, or she loses to everybody that's trying to above her. So I'm going to go Bedosa. She's a very middle of the road player, and I'm, you know that stat. The stats show that. I'm just saying statistically, she is not not a slight on her. Just that's the case. So yeah, I'm going to go Bedosa as well. And then Svontek beating Kvitova. Yeah, but who knows? It's not you know Kvitova makes things tricky on our on our best days. But yeah, it's got to be Svontek. And the guys, obviously round of sixteen. So I'll go through these very quickly. Medvedev Brooksby. That's going to be fun. Medvedev, I think. That is going to be fun, though, and yeah, I think is is definitely necessary. Harris, Harkach. Harkach. Yeah. Sitsipas, Alcaraz. Alcaraz. Yeah, Alcaraz, I agree. It's got to be Alcaraz, and that's going to be a fun one, too. Fritz, Ketchmanovic. Fritz. I'm going to go Ketchmanovic there, I think. Fritz. He was a bit tired against Tommy Paul. Yeah, but he still played incredibly well, especially under pressure in that first set, so... I'll go for Ketchmanovic. Uh, Kyrgios Sinner? Kyrgios. Sinner's not been playing anywhere near his best. I still think there's maybe some issue with the injury maybe as well. Maybe he's not fully physically there. I'm going Yeah, maybe. I'll go 
curious. Yeah. Uh, Serendulo Tiafo. I think Serendulo's. I don't. Again, I'm not saying lucky, but he's definitely. You know, he was. He was. Yeah, fine. Just I'll stick to Tiafo there. I won't say too much more. Rudes Nori. I'm going to go with Casper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll say the same. And Kokonakis. Kokonakis Verev. Verev. I'm going back the upset. And Kokonakis never gets an easy match in his life, so it's going to be a third set tie break. But Kokonakis steals it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I still think Zenev's a bit uh, distracted. Obviously, you know. Probably not going to work out like that, but still. Okay, yeah, I think we could stop there, Gav. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. We will be here again next week for the finals. Please join us then. Thanks for listening this far through. If you want to catch any of my work, you can go to jackedward.substack.com or onlinetennis.uk. If you want to catch any of Gav's work, you can go to the last word on sports. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time on the Online Tennis Podcast. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.